Hey there, welcome. My name is Jared, and welcome to the Jared Show Wisdom Podcast. In this episode, we will continue west in our comparative religious studies, or major religions series, as we get into the last major Abrahamic religion, Christianity. Welcome to the show. In this episode, we're talking about Christianity. Actually, we're going to go over this religion like all the others, but a lot of what you're going to hear, while it may line up with what a lot of professing Christians believe, it's what I like to call the Hollywood version of Christianity. In later episodes, we'll get a bit deeper into actual Christianity. But in section one of this episode, we'll get into my favorite subject, history. In section two, we'll look at the Hollywood version of Christianity and what it's all about. And in the last section, we'll see how most Christians live out their faith, how it looks in their everyday lives. Before the break, here is some food for thought. When was the Bible canonized? Was it A, 1 BC? Was it B, 2020? Or was it C, 332 AD? The answer when we come back. Welcome back to the Jared Show Wisdom Podcast. The answer to when was the Bible canonized or compiled, put together? Is it A, 1 BC, B, 2020, or C, 332 AD? The answer is 332 AD. Canonization of the Bible means joining all the books together. You see, the Bible is a collection of books, 66 in all, and it was written by over 40 plus authors. It took over 1,500 years to compile and has one of the largest collections of manuscripts, ensuring that what it says today is what it said thousands of years ago. 
It is also the best-selling book in the world and has been for years and years. Getting into how the Bible came about is very interesting, and I do plan on doing another podcast on that very topic in the near future. So for now, let's look at Christianity's origins and my favorite subject, history. Christianity is the last of the Abrahamic religions we will look at. There are actually many, many others, including Rastafarianism, though they prefer not to be called an ism, so it's really just Rastafari. There are many, many others as well. But Christianity developed during the first century AD as a Jewish Christian sect of the Second Temple Judaism. An early Jewish Christian community was founded in Jerusalem under the leadership of the pillars of the church, namely James the Just, the brother of Jesus, Peter, and John. Jewish Christianity soon attracted Gentiles, those being non-Jews, that's what a Gentile is, and called themselves God-fearers. And this posed a problem for the Jewish religious outlook, which insisted on close observance of the Jewish commands. Eventually, the departure from Jewish customs would result in the establishment of Christianity as an independent religion. This formative period was followed by the early bishops, whom Christians considered the successors of Jesus' apostles. Persecution of, G of Christians occurred intermittently and on small scale by both Jewish and Roman authorities, with Rome, Roman action starting at the time of the Great Fire of Rome in 64 AD. The Dacian persecution was the first empire-wide conflict, when the Edict of Dacatius in 250 AD required everyone in the Roman Empire except Jews to perform a sacrifice to the Roman gods. The Diocletian, excuse my pronunciations, persecution beginning in 303 AD was also particularly severe. Roman persecution ended in 313 AD with the Edict of Milan. During Constantine's first reign, state-sanctioned persecution of Christians was ended with the Edict of Toleration in 311 and the Edict of Milan in 313. At that point, Christianity was still a minority belief, comprising perhaps only 5% of the Roman population. On the 27th of February in 380 AD, the Nicene Christianity was established as the state church of the entire Roman Empire. As soon as it began being connected to the state, Christianity grew wealthy. The church solicited donations from the rich and could now own land. Constantine was also instrumental in the convocation of the First Council of Nicaea in 325, which formulated the Nicene Creed, which is still used by Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, Lutheranism, and many other Protestant churches. Nicaea was the first 
of the series of ecumenical councils, which formally defined critical elements of the theology of the church, notably concerning Christology, or if Christ was God, or Jesus was the Christ, or if Jesus was God, and while also uh, starting to canonize the Bible and bring and compile all of the books, the 66 in total, into what we now know as the Bible. With the decline and fall of the Roman Empire in the West in 476 AD, the papacy, or office of the Pope, took the reins and gained in power as Christianity expanded its followers. In the 7th century, Muslims conquered Syria, including Jerusalem, North Africa, and Spain, converting some of the Christian population to Islam and placing the rest under a separate legal status. The Middle Ages brought about major changes within the church. Pope Gregory the Great dramatically reformed the ecclesiastical structure and administration. Christian nationalism emerged during this era in which Christians felt the impulse to recover lands in which Christianity had historically flourished. From 1095 AD, under the pontificate of Urban II, the Crusades were launched. These were a series of military campaigns in the Holy Land and elsewhere initiated in response to pleas from the Byzantine Emperor Alexios I for aid against Tur Turkish, Turkish expansion. The Crusades ultimately failed to stifle Islamic aggression and even contributed to Christian hostility with the sacking of Constantinople during the Fourth Crusade. The Christian Church experienced internal conflict between the 7th and 13th centuries that resulted in a schism between the so-called Latin or Western Christian branch, the Catholic Church, and Eastern, largely Greek branch, the Eastern Orthodox Church. The two sides disagreed on a number of administrative and doctoral issues, most notably papal primacy of jurisdiction. Basically, they disagreed that the office of the Pope had authority over everything and that they could actually not have to go through the Pope and priests and the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, but actually directly access God. The 15th century Renaissance brought about a renewed interest in ancient and classical learning. During the Reformation, Martin Luther posted the 95 Thesis in 1517 AD against the sale of indulgences. Printed copies soon spread throughout, the Europe, throughout Europe. In 1521, the Edict of Worms condemned and excommunicated Luther and his followers, resulting in the schism of the Western Christendom into several branches. These challenges developed into the movement called Protestantism, which repeated the primacy of the Pope, the role of tradition, the seven sacraments, and other doctrines and practices. Though starting in the Roman Empire with very few followers, 
Christianity has grown over the generations to become the number one religion in the world, with claims of Christianity to be around 2.4 billion people. One important thing to note here is uh, the sale of indulgences uh, that Martin Luther was against. We're going to touch upon that a little bit later, um, but one thing to note is what that is. So the sale of indulgences is how the Christian church, or how the Catholic, they call it the Church of Rome, how the Church of Rome became so wealthy. What they would do is they would uh, they put out a theology and a doctrine uh, where when you die, you would go to a place called purgatory. And when you went to this place called purgatory, it's in between heaven uh, and life. And you are waiting to either go to heaven or hell. So you're in between the afterlife and our life, this life. Um, and what priests were saying is that if you paid them a certain amount of money, they would pray for your dead loved ones on their behalf, and those people would be able to enter the gates of heaven. Um, perhaps you've always heard of, I think it's St. Peter, where he would stop people at the gate and ask them why they um, deserve to be in heaven. Uh, this is where this idea comes from. It's, uh, as far as I've seen, it's, it's not extremely biblical. I'll get into the how biblical all of, a lot of these religions are in different episodes, not right now. Um, there is certain, a couple of scripture that could probably try to back that claim up. But the idea is that they used it the church used it at this particular time, um, the sale of indulgences, to be able to uh, gain a lot of wealth. So um, they basically used guilt against people and then gained a lot of money because of that. And the church grew wealthy and it also expanded um, throughout these uh, all of these times. Um, unfortunately. And the Crusades, uh, the sale of indulgences, all of these things really started to give Christianity a really bad name to certain places, um, and still does, unfortunately. So that's a little bit of the history of Christianity. Uh, now that we know a little bit more about the history and where it came from, coming from Judaism, Let's get a look at the belief system when we get back. Before we go to break, I'd like to ask, what do you think the core belief is in Christianity? Here's a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Jared Show Wisdom Podcast. To answer the question before the break, Christianity is centered around the belief in Jesus Christ. Before we get into the core beliefs of the biggest religion in the world, it's important to note that there are over 34,000 different denominations in over 200 countries around the world. Basically, a denomination is where the core belief system that I'm about to lay out is held within the majority of Christianity. Um, Really, Christianity is anyone that believes in Christos, or Christ, the Anointed One. Um, So there are a lot of different religions that claim to be a part of this big religion, Christianity. And those different denominations can vary from very small, minute details as to um, you know, how you do particular things or worship a particular way or if you sing this or do that. There's, there's a lot of different... We're going to go into a couple of differences here. Some of them are really small differences and some of them are really, 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 really big differences in the ways that they believe. What I'm about to give you right now is um, a pretty core belief system that if you believe in Christianity um, it's highly likely that you believe uh, these five or six things that I'm about to read here Um, but every single one of these things that I'm about to say there are parts of Christianity sects of Christianity that don't believe these things or believe something similar but not quite Um, So we'll go into a little bit of those things. Um, This isn't really, we're not really trying to compare all of these Christian religions to each other. Um, I think that's that's better left up to another episode. But um, this is the beliefs as an approximation of the core beliefs of, of Christianity. So number one would be the belief in a creator uh, called God. In the Old Testament of the Bible, it's called Jehovah. And that God, Jehovah, um, created all things and is sovereign over all things. And sovereignty basically means that God has control over every single thing that there is. Um, an easy way to understand this would be to, to get a Bible if you don't have one. Get a Bible or look it up online if you, if you want to. Um, and look at Isaiah 44 and 45. Um, you can see that God claims to be God over everything and not just all the good stuff or all or some of the bad stuff. Um, so the one of the core beliefs of, of Christianity is that God is the creator of all things and is in control of all things. A uh, second belief or uh, core tenet of the, the Christian faith would be um, belief in the Trinity of God or the triune, the, the Godhead of God the Father, Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. So you have those three things are one. 
Um, a good way to see that would be First uh, John 5-7 is a good way to understand that. Um, and that's a pretty core belief, but there are sects of Christianity, as in, uh, I think, Jehovah Witness, that do not believe that in the, the Trinity. Or I think they do believe in the Trinity, but they don't believe Jesus Christ as equal to God. Um, and that's a whole different subject. Um, but that is another uh, core belief. So uh, another core belief or tenet of Christianity would be the death, descent into hell, resurrection, and ascension to heaven of Jesus Christ. Um, and again, every single thing, the, the death part, the descension into hell, resurrection, and ascension, um, I think out of one, two, three, four of those ideas, um, I think almost every sect has a different way of interpretation of those things. Um, we'll get into a little bit of that in just a minute. But the last kind of core belief in Christianity would be Christ's second coming, Jesus Christ's second coming, the day of judgment and the salvation of the faithful. So these are the core beliefs held for the majority of Christians. Other, other beliefs that have resulted in different denominations or different sects, different, um, uh, different types of Christianity uh, include but are not limited to baptism. So uh, especially in, in terms of Baptist, actually Baptist is a specific denomination. Um, and it's actually interesting where it comes from. Um, it used to be more like a slang derogatory derogatory term. Um, so it's interesting that they, they kind of took that and, and ran with it. But So with baptism, uh, whether it's in water or it's of the Holy Spirit, or both, as in Pentecostal, we'll get to that in a minute, um, or full submersion underwater or sprinkled as a baby, we're going to um, get a little bit deeper into some of those things and name those things. There's actually names for all of that stuff. Um, so that creates different denominations within Christianity. Certain people believe that you have to be fully submerged. Certain people believe that um, you're not, you don't need to be baptized in water, but you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, and that creates different denominations. So different types of Christianity, different churches. So another um, schism, another point of contention would be speaking in tongues. So um, some believe, like Pentecostals believe, that a spiritual language only God can know and give interpretations of through the Holy Spirit means speaking in tongues. Um, others believe that it's really just being able to speak any language on the face of the earth in known language. Uh, Pentecostal and, and people of that flavor, if you will, um, believe that it is an unknown language that no one knows, and the only thing that knows is the Spirit, and, and that's a whole different subject. Um, another point of contention is Jesus as God, as I've already said, um, with especially Jehovah Witness. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is God, um, yet they believe most of the rest of of things. Uh, another point of contention would be whether the Bible 
is either 100% true or tainted by man. Um, Jehovah Witness have their own uh, scripture or additions to the Bible, as do um, Mormonism, especially Mormonism, Church of Latter-day Saints. They have their own literature um, that comes from Joseph Smith and many other prophets on their side. I think um, Seventh-day Adventists have scripture that that is that runs along that runs parallel with the Bible. I'm not sure that they Seventh-day Adventists actually believe that Ellen White, which is their the prophet that they listen to. Um, I don't think they believe that Ellen White is the same as Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Um, whereas, from what I understand, uh, Mormonism and uh, Joseph Smith and these things, they do believe that Joseph Smith is actually equal or above Jesus Christ. Um, so that is definitely a point of contention whether the Bible is 100% true or not. Um, another point of contention would be works versus grace as a matter of how someone is saved. So with Judaism, the way that you are saved, and actually with Catholicism as well, the way that you are saved is by works, by doing good deeds. And you are um, trying to work your way into grace, into the favor of God. With works versus grace, um, Grace itself is a free gift of God. You can see this in uh, the Gospel according to John, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Verses 16, I'll just say. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So it's a free gift. Um, and, and that idea of grace that you don't... its There's nothing... Not only is there nothing that you need to do, there's nothing that you can do. So um, that becomes a big point of contention within Christianity. Um, another one is uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Actually, some believe that um, Jesus wasn't actually physically resurrected, that it was more um, his ideas, his thoughts. We'll, we'll touch upon that a little bit um, later. And as we kind of touched on earlier, Christianity is primarily centered around a belief in Jesus, the resurrection, the, the message that he brought, um, the things that he said, things that he did. Uh, the central tenet of Christianity is a belief in Jesus as the Son of God and Messiah, or Christos, Christ. Um, a lot of I, I, I'm not sure that a lot of Christians recognize the fact that Christ is actually a title. It's not um, Jesus's last name. And perhaps a lot of atheists or a lot of people that don't know Christianity probably don't understand that. Um, I think it's the same with Buddhism, as a matter of fact, that Buddha wasn't necessarily this man's name. It was something that he attained. It's something that he gained. With Christos, or anointed one, that's what Christos means. It's the Greek word for Christ. It's um, Messiah, and that's what Jesus was. So he is Jesus Christ. Right? So Christians believe that Jesus, as the Messiah, was anointed by God as Savior of humanity 
and hold that Jesus' second coming, uh, or first coming, was the fulfillment of messianic promises of the Old Testament. The Christian concept of Messiah differs significantly from the contemporary Jewish concept. The core Christian belief is that through belief in and acceptance of the death and resurrection of Jesus, sinful humans can be reconciled to God and thereby are offered salvation and the promise of eternal life. While there have been many theological disputes over the nature of Jesus over the earliest centuries of Christian history, generally Christians believe that Jesus is God incarnate and true God and true man, or both fully divine and fully human. Jesus, having become fully human, suffered the pains and temptations of a mortal man, but did not sin or commit any wrongdoing. He didn't do anything wrong. As fully God, he rose to life again. According to the New Testament, he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will ultimately return to fulfill the rest of the messianic prophecy, including the resurrection of the dead, the last judgment, and the final establishment of the kingdom of God. According to the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born from the Virgin Mary. Little of Jesus' childhood is recorded in the Gospels. In comparison, his adulthood, especially the week before his death, is well documented in the Gospels contained within the New Testament because that part of his life is believed to be most important. The biblical accounts of Jesus' ministry include his baptism, miracles, preaching, teaching, and his deeds. Christians consider the resurrection of Jesus to be the cornerstone of their faith and the most important event in history. Among Christian beliefs, the death and resurrection of Jesus are two core events on which much of Christian doctrine and theology is based. According to the New Testament, Jesus was crucified, died a physical death, was buried within a tomb, and rose from the dead three days later. The New Testament mentions several post-resurrection appearances of Jesus on different occasions to his 12 apostles and disciples, including more than 500 people at once, before Jesus' ascension to heaven. Jesus' death and resurrection are commemorated by Christians in all worship services, with special emphasis during Holy Week, which includes Good Friday and Easter Sunday. The death and resurrection of Jesus are usually considered the most important events in Christian theology, partly because they demonstrate that Jesus has power over life and death, and therefore has the authority and power to give people eternal life. Christian churches accept and teach the New Testament account of the resurrection of Jesus with very few exceptions. Some modern scholars use the belief of Jesus' followers in the resurrection as a point of departure for establishing the continuity of the historical Jesus and the proclamation of the early church. Matter of fact, some liberal Christians do not accept the literal bodily resurrection, seeing the story as richly symbolic and spiritually nourishing myths. 
Arguments over death and resurrection claims occur at many religious debates and interfaith dialogues. Paul the Apostle wrote, If Christ was not raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your trust in God is useless. Paul the Apostle, like Jews and Romans at the time, believed that sacrifice can bring about new kinship ties, purity, and eternal life. For Paul, the necessary sacrifice was the death of Jesus. Gentiles, or non-Jews, who are Christ's, or belong to Christ, are, like Israel, descendants of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. The God who raised Jesus from the dead would also give new life to the mortal bodies of Gentile Christians who had become with Israel the children of God and were therefore no longer in the flesh. Modern Christian churches tend to be more concerned with how humanity can be saved from a universal condition of sin and death rather than the question of how both Jews and Gentiles can be in God's family. According to Eastern Orthodox theology, based upon their understanding of the atonement as put forward by uh, the recapulation theory, Jesus' death is a ransom. This restores the relationship with God who is loving and reaches out to humanity and offers the possibility of theosis or divination, becoming the kind of humans God wants humanity to be. Not being divine, but being perfected. Not being gods, but being allowed to be within the perfection of God, around perfection because you you have become perfected. According to Catholic doctrine, Jesus' death satisfies the wrath of God, aroused by the offense to God's honor caused by human sinfulness. The Catholic Church teaches that salvation does not occur without faithfulness on the part of the Christians. Converts must live in accordance with principles of love and ordinarily uh, must be baptized. In Protestant theology, Jesus' death is regarded as a substitutionary penalty carried by Jesus for the debt that has to be paid by humankind when it broke God's moral law. Martin Luther taught that baptism was necessary for salvation, but modern Lutheranaries and other Protestants tend to teach that salvation is a gift that comes to an individual by God's grace sometimes defined as unmerited favor, even apart from baptism. Christians differ in their views on the extent to which individual salvation is preordained by God. Reformed theology places distinctive emphasis on grace by teaching that individuals are completely incapable of self-redemption, but that sanctifying grace is irresistible. In contrast, Catholics, Orthodox Christians, and Armenian Protestants believe that the exercise of free will is necessary to have faith in Jesus. Moving on to the Trinity, the Trinity 
refers to the teaching that one God comprises three distinct eternal coexisting persons, the Father, the Son, incarnate in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Together, these three persons are sometimes called the Godhead, although there's no single term in use in Scripture to note the unified Godhead. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 talks about how these three things are one, but the use of Godhead I don't think I've ever seen in the Bible. But the Trinity is an essential doctrine of mainstream Christianity. From earlier than the times of the Nicene Creed, 325, Christianity advocated the triune mystery nature of God as a normative profession of faith. According to this doctrine, God is not divided in the sense that each person has a third of the whole. Rather, each person is considered to be fully God. The distinction lies in their relations. The Father being unbegotten, or not created, the Son being begotten of the Father, and the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and, in Western Christian theology, from the Son. Son as in person. Regardless of this apparent difference, the three persons are each eternal and omnipotent. Other Christian religions, including Unitarian Universalism, Jehovah Witnesses, and Mormonism, do not share those views on the Trinity. Most Christians believe that human beings experience divine judgment and are rewarded with either eternal life or eternal damnation. This includes the general judgment at the resurrection of the dead, as well as the belief in the judgment particular to the individual soul upon physical death. Most Christians believe the eternal damnation, called hell, is full of torment, burning, and suffering, while the eternal life or heaven is just the opposite. Heaven is filled with streets paved in gold and pretty much a free-for-all, getting everything one desires. As I started off this episode saying, this is the Hollywood version of Christianity. In future episodes, we'll get into the real Christianity and what that is. But when we come back, we'll take a look at how Christians put these beliefs into practice and how they live out what they believe. Before we go to break, here's a question to think about. How many times are Christians supposed to pray per day? Think about it, and we'll be right back in just a minute.
Welcome back to the Jared Show Wisdom Podcast. As we have seen with Judaism and Islam, a certain amount of mandatory prayer per day is common. But with Christianity, Christians pray kind of whenever they want. In different denominations, it's common, as with Judaism and Islam, to recite prayers, such as the Lord's Prayer, found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, also in Luke chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. These are the gospel according to Matthew and the gospel according to Luke in the Bible. And as we have seen with other religions, let's see how Christian Christianity plays out in their everyday lives. Now, unlike Islam with its five pillars of faith, or Judaism with the traditional prayers three times a day, and wearing sacred clothing like the kippah, there isn't a set practice for Christianity of everyday life. There are practices that Christians observe though, such as communal worship. Worship services typically follow a pattern or form known as liturgy. Christians assemble for communal worship typically on Sunday, the day of the resurrection, though other liturgical practices often occur outside this setting. Scripture readings are drawn from the Old and New Testament, especially the Gospels. Instruction is given based on these readings, called a sermon or homily. There are a variety of congressional prayers, including thanksgiving, confession, and intercession, which occur throughout the service and take a variety of forms, including recited, responsive, silent, or sung. Psalms, hymns, or worship songs may be sung. Services can be varied for special events like significant feast days. Nearly all forms of worship incorporate the Eucharist, which consists of a meal. It is a reenactment in accordance with Jesus' instructions at the Last Supper that his followers do in remembrance of him as when he gave his disciples bread, saying, This is my body, and gave them wine, saying, This is my blood. In the early church, Christians and those yet to complete initiation would separate for the Eucharist, part of the service. Some denominations continue the practice of closed communion. They offer communion to those who are already united in that denomination, or sometimes individual churches. Many other churches practice open communion, since they view communion as a means to unity rather than an end, and invite all believing Christians to participate. Another practice of Christians is baptism, and we briefly went over baptism, but let's go over it a little bit here. Uh, beliefs on baptism vary among denominations, as we said before. Differences occur firstly on whether the act has any spiritual significance. Some, such as the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches, as well as the Lutherans and Anglical, hold to the doctrine of baptismal regeneration. 
which affirms that baptism creates or strengthens a person's faith, and it is intimately linked to salvation. Others view baptism as a purely symbolic act, an external public decoration of the inward change which has taken place in the person, but not as spiritually efficacious, necessary. Secondly, there are differences of opinion on the methodology of the act. These methods are by immersion, if immersion is total, it's called submersion, by effusion or pouring, and by aspersion, sprinkling. Those who hold the first view may also adhere to the tradition of infant baptism or aspersion. That would be the Orthodox churches all practice infinite, infant baptism and always baptize by total immersion repeated three times in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Catholic Church also participates in infant baptism, usually by effusion, and utilizes the Trinity formula, dipping three times in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Evangelical denominations adhering to the doctrine of the Believer's Church practice the Believer's Baptism by immersion in water after the new birth and profession of faith. For newborns, there is a ceremony called child dedication. There are so many people that claim to be a Christian around the world, all with different traditions, doctrine, ideologies, religious practices. For now, I just wanted to give you the basics of Christianity. And this is the very, very, very basics. But moving forward, we will get deeper into Christianity and really what it's all about. What is heaven? What is hell? What does the Bible say about all these things? Where did the Bible come from? Should we, is the Bible reliable? In this episode, we have touched upon several core beliefs within the whole of Christianity. We have looked at a bit of history and seen a few practices regarding the Christian religion. This has brought us through to the end of the Major Religions Study Series. In the next episode, I will be explaining part of my own spiritual journey. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Please like and subscribe if you have. Thank you for watching on YouTube if you want to or on the website, thejaredshow.com. Or thank you for listening if you're listening on Spotify or um, all the other different Overcast, Pocket Cast, Anchor. Anyway, thank you for watching and listening. And as always, and in always, may God bless you. Thanks.